Welcome back to the Fenway Rundown presented by Mass Live. I'm Chris Cotillo, your host. Today's one of those days we're just going to go right to the top. Uh, we have Heim Bloom. We have a very extensive, in-depth interview with Heim Bloom as the Red Sox offseason wraps up. We're going to get into a lot of topics, You know, a lot of things that have been on my mind. I'm sure they've been on yours as well. The booing at Winter Weekend in Springfield, the recent trades, Mondesi, Barnes, Blyer, Taylor, uh, if they're done, what's next for them, you know, and a few different things about the roster. So Haim, I thought was really good, pretty transparent. Um, no need for really much of a lead in here. Uh, here's Haim Bloom. So I think the last time we talked to Haim Bloom on the show officially was, uh, I think we were in Detroit and tucked away in some uh, weird locker room closet that we found quiet space before a game. So I think this is probably a little bit more comfortable on both sides. We appreciate you uh, taking some time of what's been a very, very busy end of the offseason for you guys to uh, hop on. Yeah, happy to be with you. Uh, uh, thanks for having me on again. Gosh, that seems like a lot more than, what, 10, 11 months ago. I know. Yeah, a lot's happened. We're going to get to uh, as much as much of it as we can, really, in the next half hour or so. Um, we'll start with, I think, you know, obviously a subject that has come up in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I was not in Springfield for winter weekend. Uh, you obviously were. And I think, you know, the, the reaction from the fan base made headlines. You've addressed it already, but I just wanted to get kind of the chance to ask you. Um, I know you've said, you know, you're from Philly. You get it. You're glad that fans are that invested. You're glad that fans care that much. Um, but when you're going up, I guess the question I have is when you're going up on that stage in front of your season ticket holders, your most passionate fans, you know, the people who probably think most positively about the Red Sox. Are you in any world expecting that to happen? Yeah, uh, actually fully. We, we talked about it a lot uh, in the, the days leading up to the event. Um, you know, I know there are uh, people, I think in this business and people we talked to with other organizations that would say you shouldn't do that sort of thing. And we felt it was important to do yeah, precisely for that reason that I think you can't just go do those things when you're coming off of really good years. Um, if you're going to do it, you should, uh, you should do it in good times and bad. And it's exactly for the reason you said, because we know folks in the audience who are willing to, to go through some you know, pretty tough weather on that day to, to get to that event uh, in, in the middle of January, um, that if they're willing to do that, they care a lot about the Red Sox. And if you care a lot about the Red Sox, you were not very happy with what you saw in 2022. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, you know, I would expect no less. I know it's, you know, when you, when you see the video, obviously, it seems like um, at, at least part of it seems like, you know, you're obviously taken aback trying to get, you know, your, your, can't get a word in edgewise there when you're up there are you flustered by the situation or kind of what's racing through your head you know it was it was interesting to experience um but uh it was you know something that i said to myself going into that was that you can be up there and experience that and kind of say a 30 second canned answer to whatever comes your way just try to stick the landing and, and move on to the next question. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had decided that that was not something that I wanted to do, that I wouldn't be happy with myself if I did that. And I don't think people in the audience would be particularly happy with me. So I said, you know what, I'm going to just be real with everybody, you know, as real as I possibly can be. And people can like it or not like it, but at least they know it wasn't some canned answer. And uh, so that's what I decided to do. And obviously 
that meant that I had to go back in time a little bit and, and set the stage some right. and, and work through some, uh, some right. different reactions from the audience, but I was okay doing that. Um, and, uh, I'm glad I did it. Any part of you, uh, thinking up there, like, wow, this is what players go through on a daily basis in whatever ballpark they're in. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I mean, obviously like being, in this business and especially in this role, like you experience some things that occasionally give uh, non-athletes like me a taste of, of what it's yeah. like to be uh, to, 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 to lead the lives that those guys lead. And uh, you know, I've been through it a number of times in my career where, you know what, I, I know what it's like to see your name in MLB trade rumors and all that, that type of stuff. And uh, I do think it, it, it helps understand some of what these guys are experiencing on a, on a daily basis and the magnitude of it. Um, and at the end of the day, it really comes down to the same thing uh, that we tell the players. You got to stay in the moment, try to do the right thing, be present, uh, not worry about things you can't control, worry about doing your job. We'll, we'll get to the roster, some of the more recent moves, some specifics in a minute, but kind of two broader questions that go off and kind of the message you were trying to get across. I guess the first one is, do you feel like some of that comes from Red Sox fans not understanding your goals. I mean, you've pretty been you've been pretty clear. I think sticking to your guns since you took over. There's we're going to care about the short term. We're going to care about the long term, right? There's the people call them buzzwords, but they're really I think the tenets of the organization, whether it be st- stability, sustainability. I'm I'm fumbling over them because I've heard them so many times now. Um, you know, like do you feel like the message has gotten lost sometimes, or do you feel like it's just a matter of impatience when after a last place season? That's a really good question. I, I I definitely wouldn't say that our fans don't understand it. I actually think they understand it really well. They're terrific fans, like super smart. Nobody follows the game more closely than Red Sox fans. I think sometimes the world we live in today, the, the environment we're in, the kind of hot take world that we live in, uh, I think makes it really easy to lose the thread. And I think there's so much noise around the organization sometimes uh, that sometimes things enter the narrative that then get taken as fact uh, that aren't, uh, that are really more opinions and they're not opinions that we share. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that certainly can happen in the world that we live in. Again, it all comes from a good place. It comes from enthusiasm for the organization. It comes from a burning desire to win, which is something that we all have. So, you know, it's not a question of understanding or not understanding. It's it's more a question of, you know, sometimes just losing the thread. And, and I feel like anytime I communicate either directly with our fans or even, you know, like right now um, or anytime I do anything, you know, uh, media wise or, or, or publicly, really what the what my responsibility is with that is basically to just share what we are thinking, why we are doing what we're doing, what's the thought process, what's the plan. Um, that that's really what it is. It's it's not a, a question of in, influencing people as much as you know our fans are in. Like they want us to do well. Like it's not a question of getting them on our side as much as it is just having them basically understand the way that we're thinking through things. And people can agree with that or disagree with that, but that mm-hmm. that's basically what I feel our responsibility is 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 pretty much to get them on the inside of what's actually going on here. And you mentioned narratives or opinions. I've asked Sam Kennedy this question on the show before. I might have asked you last time, but are there any narratives out there that particularly bother you about the Red Sox or about yourself or anything like that? You know, I try not to worry about that too much. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, if you win, that stuff doesn't matter. And so that's what the job is. And if we do our jobs, none of that stuff matters. And frankly, if we're not winning, uh, 
um, we don't really have a right to complain too much about what people are saying about us because it means we didn't get the job done. So it really comes back to that. Uh, it's mm -hmm. not really worth my time to, to worry about that stuff. Um, you know, if, if we win, uh, you know, people are going to be happy. And if we don't, we deserve what we get. And the last big picture thing I'll ask before we kind of move on to the roster is, I know it's a, it's a simple question, but also very complicated. Do you believe the Red Sox are in a better spot now than when you took over in October of uh, 2019? I do. I believe that pretty strongly. Um, now, again, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a touchy subject because, you know, I, like that involves me like kind of implicitly like having an opinion about a lot of things, uh, good and bad, that happened before I was here. And in fact, mm -hmm. when I was competing against the organization, um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I do believe pretty strongly that that's the case. That's a lot based on, you know, the building up the farm system, all that type of stuff. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I've talked about it and this now we're kind of we're, we're kind of going back to what I said on the stage in Springfield. But, right. you know, I can say some things that I think, you know, maybe some of them like some of them are fact and some of them you could say are opinion, but I think are pretty widely held opinions that, you know, you had a team at that point that was pretty clearly as a unit, pretty clearly like past whatever its peak performance was uh, on top of a farm system that I think the consensus around the game was that it was, you know, one of the, you know, a lower third farm system. And a lot of the talent that was in that farm system was, was far away. Mm -hmm. um, and when you're in that situation and on top of, you know, being in that situation and, that current team probably being, you know, third or fourth in the division and having the highest payroll in baseball, that usually doesn't mean good things are coming for an organization that's in that position. Right. That story usually doesn't end well. That's why we took the course that we took, that if we had stayed on the course we were on, we would have ended up in a deep, deep hole that would have taken years and years to come out of. Um, and instead, because we made some hard decisions, it doesn't mean we got every single one right. Uh, guess what? Nobody does in this game. But we were two games from the World Series, uh, you know, one season later because of uh, the decisions that we made. Mm -hmm. um, and coming out of that uh, uh, with what I think is not just my opinion, but opinions around the game would say is a dramatically improved uh, long-term talent base. Now, we tried to build on that in 22, and we just didn't get it done. We didn't. We got to own that. We can point to different reasons why. Some of them we could control, some of them we couldn't. Um, so that's on us. But, uh, but you know, I do think still now looking forward, you know, we were able to have some success, not as much as we would have liked on the way to getting to the point we're at. And uh, I think very clearly have a, have a better outlook looking forward than we did at that time. So that's, I think, a, a good kind of segue point of looking back and now looking toward the future. 2023, you said at the winter meetings, the quote was, you know, we, we want to add, you know, six, seven, eight, maybe nine players to this mix. And I think, from a media standpoint, it felt like, uh, you know, pretty clear that, you know, you guys wanted to, it's not often you hear, you know, a top executive come out with a number like that. You know, I think fans were kind of surprised that um, you went that far. I think you should be even more detailed than that in the future, just for my own, own purposes. But um, I have, I wrote these down right before we, we went on here. I think there's 10 new players on the major league roster, the latest being Blyer yesterday added a couple guys who could make the team, Alfaro, Tapia. Uh, so that question is, at this point, do you think you're done? Do you feel like the group that you have right now is, you know, the group or pretty close to the group that we'll see on opening day of Fenway? 
I don't know. I mean, we're, we're, we never will act like we're done. We're still going right. to keep talking to clubs and, and chasing things down. Uh, we do that constantly. Uh, you know, having said that, uh, you know, if, if this is the group that, uh, that we roll into, in, into the season with, um, you know, I like our, I like the group that we have, but you know, we're not going to sit here and act like we're done. And it might be an obvious one, but the obvious area of need still being shoring up middle infield, maybe catcher. What do you view as the areas you'd like to add to, if any? Yeah, look, I think again, you, you never have enough pitching. You always look to add pitching. Um, and you know, there's obviously different, different places we could help ourselves on the position player side, but certainly the middle of the field. I mean, look, you can't sugarcoat. Uh, obviously I think the, you know, the, the impact that, that Trevor has when he's healthy, we were a playoff team in 2022 when he was healthy, he really just transformed our defense and it's going to be tough without him for however long he's out. Um, you know, so that's something that, uh, you know, we, you know, excited by the players that we've added since that happened, we were, but it was an area we were going to look to add to anyway. So it is certainly an area we could continue to add to, but like I said, I, I do feel like, we've covered ourselves pretty well and given ourselves a lot of upside with the players we have brought in. Uh, but if we can keep adding there, you know, whether through a big move or a small move, it's, it's something we'd like to do. The way I don't think you've talked publicly at all since the trade that happened yesterday, uh, Barnes for Blyer, obviously some money going to Miami there. Um, kind of interesting. You don't usually around the game, uh, you know, there's obvious exceptions, but when a guy's DFA, you don't often get, you know, a pretty, good serviceable major leaguer and in, in return there um so how did that come about in terms of you know is that something that only came up after he was dfa'd or were the marlins in on him before that and then what are you getting in blyer from your end yeah uh you know that one um was not something that we knew was going to happen at the time of the dfa um obviously you know and i i think you do this whenever you can it's something that we're all always doing. And especially when you're in the situation we're in, it's a good situation where we have a lot of talent on our 40 man. Um, you're always trying to look for, okay, if there is an opportunity to add, you know, what would we do roster wise? Uh, so we do try to canvas the market pretty thoroughly. And if there is a way, especially with someone who means as much to the organization as Maddie does, if there is a way to avoid um, the DFA process for a player and just jump straight to a trade, uh, you'd always prefer that outcome. Mm -hmm. uh, there, you know, in this case, we didn't have that, so the DFA process had to play out. And uh, just in in terms of you know, once that's happening and talking to different clubs, it came up that this might be a fit, um, and uh, something that we were able to hash out uh, with Miami and seemed to be something that worked for everybody. Um, you know, both clubs obviously being in a position of you know, having uh, a 40 man, 40 men that they didn't want to disrupt and, and Miami look at having a way this, this balanced the roster for them and gave them someone that they, that they wanted to to go take a shot on and, and brought a player to us um, who we've liked for a while, who has a lot of experience in our division. And, you know, you're asking about Plyer. I think it's you know pretty simple. This guy's track record speaks for itself. And we think yeah. the track record is supported by what's underneath. There's a reason he's been this good for this long. He's not somebody who overpowers you. He throws a ton of strikes. Um, he, he's got, uh, you know, really, it's, it's not overpowering stuff, but it's very live stuff. Very hard to square up, keeps the ball on the ground, uh, pitches to contact. And again, a strike thrower who's, who's not afraid of, of situations and, and fits us nicely. I think we all expected heading into the winter, you guys are going to revamp the bullpen. Obviously that was an area of struggle last year. And, um, 
you know, if you just look at, I think the 10 guys on the opening day roster in New York last year, I think only three are still with the organization bullpen wise. And, you know, there are some expected moves, you know, like yeah, I would have thought you'd had a couple of back end guys ended up being, you know, Jansen and Martin and Rodriguez. And then the last couple of weeks, uh, a lot more revamping, obviously Taylor out Barnes out, you know, Herman was a guy that, um, you know, projected as being a depth guy. Um, are you a little surprised that you did this much tweaking to that group in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I don't think like, let's say three, four weeks ago, I would have expected this much change, uh, just kind of how things uh, materialized um, just in our pursuit of uh, middle infield help and, and talking to Kansas City about Adalberto. Um, this was the match that we found. And again, something we thought worked, worked for both teams. Uh, but obviously then, you know, put us in a different position to where when we made the difficult decision to designate Matt um, and working through that situation, you know, we, we suddenly had you know, more uh, of, of a reason to go out and add a left-handed reliever. Um, so, you know, things came together the way they did in Miami. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily have predicted that, um, you know, hopefully it was something that the totality of those moves, we helped ourselves. And, uh, you know, if we did, I think then it's a credit to, you know, the virtues of staying active, even though I know these, these are not necessarily big headline grabbing moves. Um, you know, sometimes these moves, if we do hit on them, you know, can really make a difference. No, they're headline grabbing on mass live. Don't you worry. We'll get it all. <laughs> um, the, uh, I asked for fan questions uh, before, before we did this. And one that kept coming up was bullpen related. And it's one that I know, I think I asked you on the zoom after Barnes was DFA'd and um, you know, people look at Ryan Brazier's ERA from a year ago. They look at the hard hit rate, all that type of stuff. Look at a guy like Caleb Ort, you know, also a high ERA, those types of numbers that you look at the baseball reference page. It's not pretty. Those guys are on the roster. And, you know, if maybe probably any of us to cover the team were projecting this a few months ago, would have guessed that those guys would be off the roster before Barnes, Herman, even, you know, Siebold, some of these guys that you've said yourself are tough decisions. Um, I know that, you know, there's different projections and you said the, the projections on those guys, you know, portend a, a pretty good 2023 but um as much as you can you take us behind the curtain on why those guys are here over some of the other guys a guy like Barnes a guy like Herman whoever it might be yeah for sure I, I would preface this by saying that we have long you know for weeks now uh probably more than that been in the zone with our 40 man where it's a good problem to have but it obviously comes with some side effects where we don't have easy decisions. Uh, that's a good thing because it means that we cannot take a player off our 40 with expectation that we will keep the player. The, 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 when I, when I got here, certainly if that, that that's one barometer, the uh, you know, there were a number of players on the 40 man that you could feel pretty confident. We could get this guy through mm -hmm. um, that occasionally happens. Sometimes you, it, you could surprise yourself and it happens, but you know, for the most part, we have uh, enough knowledge. It doesn't necessarily mean we can make a blockbuster trade for each of them, but it means that we know these guys are valued enough in the industry that if we make a 40 man move with them, uh, it's likely that, you know, we're not going to be able to retain them. And if we can make a trade with them, that, that could be a good thing. But um, you know, we know these are difficult decisions. So that's what I would say first is that I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there isn't another side of this that you could argue, uh, but this is where we came out. And it was really, uh, you know, in all these cases, um, you know, something that we came to together, but both as a, as a front office and field staff, you know, in the case of those two guys you mentioned who are still with us, um, people that have worked with these guys and try to help them make adjustments, uh, believe in their ability to apply those adjustments. That doesn't guarantee anything, but it's important to us. It's one thing if you have something on paper that says a guy should be good and everybody who works with the player says, nah, no chance, this isn't going to happen. Um, 
but when you have people close to the player who do who do believe in the player, that moves the needle for me. I think it's really important uh, if you're making, you know, those types of calls. You want to be on the same page as to them, um, even when they are tough decisions. And you know, when it comes to really both guys, but you know, I know I know Braze has been kind of a lightning rod for this. Um, you know, people talk about projections; they can kind of roll their eyes. The fact of the matter is, there's a lot of things you can look at that that pitchers do um, that are really good indicators of what they're going to do next. And in many cases might be better indicators than the ERA that doesn't guarantee anything going forward. Obviously like we, we, we deal in probabilities, right? We can't, nothing in life is guaranteed to us, but um, those indicators are real. And they are things that not, not just we, but also the industry as a whole uh, increasingly believe in because more often than not, they do prove out. And with Ryan, you know, it's not rocket science. Uh, he throws a ton of strikes. He has really good stuff. Uh, made some adjustments later in the season just in terms of how and when he used what he had uh, to sequence it better and help uh, help him get out. So the, the, uh, the product of a lot of good work, you know, first of all, obviously by Ryan, but also by various members of our staff, our advanced team, Alex, Bushy, Walk, Tech, that really work together to help him understand, okay, why are, why are our results under underachieving what our stuff says we should do? It's not because we don't throw strikes, right? He throws a ton of strikes. So how else can we sequence our stuff to, to help us get outs better? Again, does that guarantee anything going forward? No, it's something that has to be earned. But there's a lot of reason there and optimism that's shared by, you know, both front office and field staff that, uh, that we will get uh, better results going forward. I'm sure these are, you know, this is not a decision that's made like, no, we need a 40-man spot for Duval, right? Like there's probably, when you look at it, a pecking order where okay, if we need one, we need three more spots and it's this guy. Is that kind of how it works or is that too simplistic? Well, we try to do it that way. The reality of it is sometimes, you know, at the end of the day, you still don't, you know, there's different things that could happen. There's always, you know, active trade talks. Some of them could be at a boil. Some of them could be back burner that can always change the picture. So you're always yeah. trying to deal in contingencies and there always comes a moment where you do have to make a call. I Ideally, we will have done the work and talked to people beforehand, whether it's in the office, whether it's Alex and the staff, that we kind of know where everybody stands and why. Uh, and then uh, we see where we're at at the moment. We actually do need to make the call and, and make a decision based on that. But you're right. There's a lot of groundwork that you try to lay in advance, and it's really dynamic. Again, when you get to this point with our 40, you always want to try to be in front of it. And ideally, that means you can avoid DFAs. Obviously, we haven't, uh, you know, the last couple that we've had. Um, and sometimes that does happen. And sometimes that DFA is kind of necessary to bring the process to a head. Um, and it's not a fun experience to put a player through. So we prefer to avoid it, but you know, it's not uncommon. You see it in the industry and especially this time in the winter where a lot of players have found homes and rosters are pretty jammed up. Uh, we only have a couple more uh, specific areas of the roster kind of staying in the pitching staff. Everybody knows you have, you know, seven guys that you look at as potential starters with how being stretched out and all that. Um, uh, I think the BOH said, uh, talking to him a couple weeks ago, that a six-man rotation probably isn't something that or isn't something you've talked about uh, to this point. Um, I, I'm I'm assuming, and I might be wrong here, that you don't view Brian Bayo as a guy that you want to pitch in relief. It's either that he's in the major league rotation or or the Worcester rotation. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's you know again, never say never because especially early in the season when you're trying to build guys up the right way. And especially knowing some of our guys are guys that there's extra reason to need to take care of them. Right. In right. some cases we have guys who just haven't pitched a whole lot in recent years and we need to build them up the right way. Uh, so we will be taking care of them and protecting workloads. It's something Alex feels really strongly about our medical team feels strongly about. 
we all feel that. So that doesn't mean we won't see, you know, potentially some creative uses of guys. But in terms of the role that, you know, Brian, I think give his ceiling is so high that uh, we, we, we don't want to jerk him around. Uh, so again, you, I, I can't make any promises about what will happen the, early on in the season because I think we will, if we want to take care of guys the right way, um, you know, we may need to uh, get creative here, but um, he he has a ceiling of a really good starting pitcher and we don't want to get in the way of him accomplishing that. And two other guys who you know project as part of the rotation, but, you know, theoretically could be bumped, Houck and Paxton. Obviously, Tanner's a guy who's done it before. I don't think Paxton has, but... Um... Do your recent moves make it more likely that Hout goes to the bullpen? And then could you envision Paxton um, being maybe a long reliever uh, if there's, you know, five guys ahead of him in the rotation mix? Yeah, it's something, you know, with Pax, until we get a little closer uh, and we know exactly where he's at, I, I don't want to say anything definitively. I will say with somebody at the stage of his career that he's at and, you know, having been through as much medically as he's been through, adding the variable of asking him to do something he hasn't really done um, is something – that we would have to think long and hard before doing. That doesn't rule it out, but um, you do have to factor that in. You know, Tanner's a little different because we know he can do it. Um, but the thing is, a lot of guys who succeed in relief, they end up in relief because they failed as a starter. Like Tanner didn't fail as a starter. Right. He just ended up in relief. And he's really just shown in terms of what he can do physically and mentally that he can really do it at any point in the game and in any kind of role. I mean, this guy actually was having a pretty good amount of success as a major league starting pitcher. And we feel confident that he totally could do it. Uh, we have to see where we're at as we get closer to the season. I, I don't think we want to enter the season with a role being undefined. That's usually a, a, a recipe for trouble. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think at this point, before we know where everybody's at, knowing that he is perfectly capable of starting, to, to push him out of that at this point, I think, would not be fair to him or us. So you're, you're comfortable going in with the seven and seeing where you know it takes you from there. Yeah, we've had some conversations, um, you know, ongoing conversations, smaller meetings, bigger meetings, just about where this could go. Um, you know, not really ready to uh, to show our cards yet, just because I do think we're going to get a lot of a lot more information at a pretty rapid pace in the weeks, even leading up to camp and then early in camp about where everybody's at. And, you know, obviously you hope nothing bad happens to anybody, but even if people are going along on, on, a, on a good track, um, you know, there may be some reason to uh, to hold somebody back and rein them in a little bit. And you hopefully reap that reward in August and September and October mm -hmm. when they're friskier than they otherwise would be. Um, so those are all conversations we've had. And we've talked about different po possibilities, if this, then that, uh, you know, when do we need to see certain things from certain guys? Uh, so it is a bit of a fluid situation, but we've had plenty of conversation about how it could look like, you know, when we get to opening day. Did you say friskier? I did. I think, I don't know. You tell me, did I say that? I think so. That's, that was not a word that I thought was going to make the podcast today, but <laughs> history. Um, I promise you, nobody challenged me to say that. Yeah, I've been someone... in situations where sometimes you, you 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 know someone's about to do an interview, so you come up with a an SAT word that you tell them see if you can work this into your interview. But I don't know if frisky is an SAT word. Yeah, tell BOH or whoever giving you ten bucks to say that that you know you hit the bet. <laughs> uh, last one for you, just the catching situation. Obviously, you guys added Alfaro. Um, not sure if you'll admit this, but you know rumors were that you were you know pretty heavily in on Roberto Perez before he signed with the Giants in the last couple of weeks. So obviously an area that I guess you're looking to add depth to still. Obviously Maguire, Wong, Alfaro in the mix. 
do you see that as an open competition between the three or how do you see that playing out? Yeah. And, uh, you know, as, as to the other question with Roberto, I, yeah, we, we like him and, uh, you know, certainly we're, we're talking to him. Um, obviously, you know, he, he saw better opportunity out there and that's okay. Um, you know, we, we've been talking about this all along. We do the two guys that finished the season for us in the big leagues, we really like, and, uh, at the same time, we recognize that neither of them has carried this load uh, at the major league level before. And, uh, you know, they both have things to prove and, you know, experience that they don't have under their belt. So it, was, it made sense for us to add um, either to add someone who is, you know, decisively a frontline catcher or someone who could create competition in that mix. And Alfaro is really intriguing. I mean, always has been, uh, you know, in terms of what he brings to, to the table, and just in terms of having some of the loudest tools and best physical ability, uh, you know, somebody that uh, we feel we could help tech up pretty excited at the possibility of working with someone who has that kind of ability and uh you know creating some competition there so we'll see how it goes obviously again I, th these other two guys have had a bit of a head start working with some of our pitchers working with our staff and really understanding what we expect on a daily basis uh and that means something but you know we we wouldn't have uh, brought alfaro in without uh wanting to see what he could do and, and kind of seeing where this goes i'm assuming you know fewer reps in spring training for these guys means everybody can be friskier come opening day <laughs> I guess you know you you could you could say that, but obviously we also need to give them a chance to to get to know uh, who they're working with. Right. Well, Haim, we appreciate it. Uh, appreciate the time, and uh, sure, uh, we've seen you soon in Fort Myers. So thank you. Sounds great. You bet. <laughs>